It's Friday, September 30th. I'm Pam Jones. Maryland's highest court will hear Republican gubernatorial candidate Dan Cox's appeal to block early vote counting. The Baltimore City Council received some preliminary answers about the recent E. coli contamination. The city is making it easier to pay your water bill. The proposed Hopkins Police Force continues to attract controversy. And Maryland lawmakers grill local officials about a shortage of polling places. It's the Daily Dose from WIPR, our latest reporting on Maryland's COVID-19 response and the local news of the day, made possible by GBMC Healthcare. Maryland's highest court has agreed to hear Delegate Dan Cox's appeal of a lower court ruling that allows state election officials to begin counting mail-in ballots Saturday. The Court of Appeals issued notice Friday afternoon that it would accept the appeal from Cox, the Republican nominee for governor. There was no indication in the notice when a hearing would be scheduled or whether that would stop the ballot count. A Montgomery County Circuit judge and the Court of Special Appeals, Maryland's intermediate appellate court already have ruled against Cox. The Baltimore City Council held another hearing with Department of Public Works officials regarding the E. coli water crisis that affected parts of the city and Baltimore County earlier this month. The DPW says aging infrastructure led to three incidents that compromised the water. One factor was the North Avenue sinkhole that developed in August, and another was an emergency repair on the Kirk Avenue water system. Council members say they will hold hearings until they get more answers. And starting tomorrow, Baltimore City residents won't have to rely on snail mail for their water bills. Officials say it's the next step to modernize city payment services. WIPR's Kristen Mossbrucker reports. Residents can sign up for emailed water bills, reminders, and auto pay. Rihanna Eckel, organizer for Food and Water Watch, calls it a step in the right direction. Folks have had to rely on getting their water bill in the mail. There have been issues with the timing of the bills. Some folks have not received bills for multiple months. There have been a lot of irregularities with the water billing system in the past. The city's revenue chief, Carla Neely, says it's a big change. They will still receive bills by mail. They can also use the system to be able to see all their bills online. And so we um, look at this as a move and a step to the future. For an additional fee, bills can be paid with Apple Pay, PayPal, or Venmo. Kristen Mossbrooker, WYPR News. The family of Heyman Lee is appealing the release of Adnan Syed from prison. The family wants to reverse a judge's ruling that allowed Syed to walk free. Though his 2000 murder conviction was vacated earlier this month, Syed remains on home detention while the Baltimore State's Attorney's Office decides if it will drop the murder charges against him or move to have a new trial. Starting tomorrow, anyone transporting a child under the age of two will need to use a rear-facing car seat or potentially face a fine. A new Maryland law aims to ensure the safety of babies and toddlers in automobiles. Along with being rear-facing, the seats must also meet federal regulations. Offenders will get a written warning for a first offense and a $50 fine for subsequent offenses. 
Finally, the State Transportation Authority has a deal for you. Under a program that started in February, Maryland drivers have two more months to pay their old video tolls without facing late fees. If you take care of your unpaid toll balances between now and November 30th, there'll be no civil penalty. The best way to make payments is online. For the second week in a row, demonstrators disrupted a town hall meeting to discuss the creation of a private police force to patrol the Johns Hopkins University campuses. Despite last night's protest, university officials tried to continue with the meeting, which was live streamed to an audience in Turner Hall. WIPR's Bethany Raja was there. The town hall meeting was convened to discuss a draft memorandum of understanding between the John Hopkins University and the Baltimore Police Department. Thursday's town hall was the second of three the school has scheduled. Just before 7 p.m., protesters carrying signs, blowing whistles, and chanting stormed Turner Auditorium on the school's east campus. Despite the protests, university officials began streaming the virtual live meeting on a large screen on Turner Hall's stage. Some protesters made their way to the back of the room holding signs in front of a projector so those in the auditorium couldn't see what was being shown while they continued chanting. The audience was made up of a handful of university employees, security guards, and community members, but was largely filled with sign-carrying demonstrators opposed to a private campus police force. They formed a line in front of university officials and security guards, continuing to chant and blow whistles. At 7.29 p.m., officials shut down the town hall and protesters moved outside where a speaker was set up. Demonstrators questioned the validity of a town hall and the need for a private campus police force. How is a YouTube video in any way like a town hall? How is a YouTube video in any way like a town hall? It's not! It's absolutely not. And no amount of packets, pizza parties, and bottled water is going to change the fact that Hopkins Private Police Force will make things more dangerous yeah. for our communities, not safer. Yeah. Johns Hopkins University student Sky Babby Boas said the school doesn't need a privatized police force. The campus, honestly, is already safe. By 8 p.m., the protesters had dispersed, and in an emailed statement, Johns Hopkins officials touted the evening's town hall a success with no mention of the protest. The statement read as follows. Information on the MOU was presented both virtually and in person at Turner Auditorium, and audience members had the opportunity to ask questions and convey feedback in real time via text, email, and JHU's public safety website. The Baltimore City Council will have 30 days to review the MOU before Police Commissioner Michael Harrison decides whether or not to sign it. If he signs it, the school will begin forming JHPD. Bethany Raja, WYPR News. This year's general election is almost upon us, but a group of state lawmakers this week looked back at the July primary to get to the bottom of a vexing issue. Why did the number of polling places decline despite a state law mandating that the numbers at least hold steady? 
Howard County, for example, lost nearly a third of its polling places. As WIPR's Rachel Bay reports, the changes did not go over well with a group of state lawmakers on Thursday. Baltimore City lost 13 of the 206 polling places it had four years ago. Anne Arundel County lost 10. Carroll County lost 12, and it only had 36 to begin with. Those changes violate a new state law the legislature passed in the spring, as House Ways and Means Chairwoman Vanessa Atterbury emphasized in an interview Thursday. I think there's just inherently something wrong with the legislature passing a law and then the local boards just deciding not to follow the law. The law requires local election boards to have at least as many in-person polling places in the 2022 primary and general elections as were available in 2018. But as state and local election officials told Atterbury's committee Thursday morning, that's easier said than done. Nikki Charlson is deputy administrator at the State Board of Elections. Many of our local boards have access to and use senior centers, or assisted living facilities or continuing care retirement communities as polling places. But in the midst of the pandemic, if there was a COVID-19 outbreak, they would not be able to serve. Rather than take that risk, the local election officials decided not to use those locations. Another reason, because of a court fight over the state's new legislative and congressional districts, the primary election was delayed. Allison McLaughlin is the acting election director for Montgomery County. We had had our plans in place for our polling places, and then we effectively lost our lease. At 240 polling places around the county, we had to scramble and find something new. She explained that in Montgomery County, like in other counties, officials managed to delay some school construction projects until after the original primary date. But when the primary moved to July, those schools were under renovation. And then there's a staffing issue. We were starting in Carroll County to notice a decline in people interested in being election judges. This had started prior to 2020, and then it was exacerbated in 2020. Carroll County Election Director Catherine Berry said some people didn't want to work the polls because of COVID-related concerns. Others had to quit when the primary date changed because they had already planned summer vacations. We are still working to recruit election judges. As of yesterday, a front page article in the Carroll County Times ran, we are 128 judges short right now. We can only have in-person voting if we have the election judges to support that. So we are working really hard to make sure that we have these 24 locations fully staffed. In Carroll County, cost was also a factor. Berry gave lawmakers an analysis of the cost per voter at different polling places. One location cost more than $37,000 to run, but fewer than 370 people voted there in the primary. That means each voter cost the county about $100. Whatever the reason, Atterbury expressed concerns during the meeting that fewer polling places makes it harder for Marylanders to vote. You know, some people had to go farther. Some people might not have had the same access that they had to their voting location. She said it also creates confusion for people who have been going to the same polling place for years. Some counties may reinstate polling places for the general election that were used in 2018, but not in this year's primary. 
Atterbury said she hopes to get more information in the coming days. Rachel Bay, WYPR News. We cover the news of the day here on The Daily Dose, but it's also a platform for listeners like you. Got a thought or a story you want to share about life in the era of coronavirus? Leave us a voicemail to play on an upcoming episode. The number, 410-235-6060. We've also got a button on the WIPR app, so you can record a voice memo that way, too. Just tap Daily Dose comments on the app or give us a call. The number again, 410 410- 235-6060. The Daily Dose is brought to you by WIPR, made possible by GBMC Healthcare. Many thanks to my news team colleagues, Rachel Bay, Shekinah Collier, John Lee, Scott Massioni, Joe McCord, Kristen Mossbrucker, and Bethany Raja. The executive editor of The Daily Dose is Danielle Irby. If you have a scoop or suggestion for this podcast, my social media hangout is Twitter at That's Pam Jones. Remember to be courageous and stay curious. I'm Pam Jones. Thanks for listening.